Welcome to the FDU Insight and Simplicity Leadership Podcast Series. This is our third leadership podcast, and the title of today's cast is Hybrid Leadership and the Forces at Work. My guests and I are going to take a look at how the pandemic has altered our current working styles and how should we, as companies and communities, develop new leadership capability to handle the complexities we face in our new post-COVID world. My name's Adam Block and I'm your host. I was born and bred a Londoner, although I've lived and worked abroad for many years, and I've spent 20 plus years advising companies on their hiring and recruitment strategies, but less about me. A little bit about FDU. FDU is an executive search and recruitment firm focusing on finance, business and operational leadership recruitment for growth and mid-cap companies in the public and private markets. Our values are insight and simplicity, but the values themselves are less important. It is about how we behave when advising clients and trying to make things simple. My guests today are Vicky Edwards, an incredibly experienced Chief People Officer, and also Jill Ezard, another really experienced Chief People Officer. Hi guys, welcome. Hi Adam, I'm really pleased to be here. Hi Adam, thanks for having us. Fantastic to have you both here, thank you. Vicky, you are Chief People Officer for Alpha Financial Software, a hugely successful FTSE-listed leasing software and services company. For 20-odd years, you've been involved in the HR learning and development space and fully involved in people leadership. You've experienced corporate high growth, M&A, and you've had the pleasure of working in a number of different industries, including banking, media and branding, oil and gas and software, coaching, employee engagement, culture change, Talent and learning development is at all at the heart of what you do. So I'm just got a little bit of a sense of you, uh, Vicky. So I took a look at your surname, Edwards. Some of this may resonate, some of it may not, but here we go. So Edwards, the personal name was first recorded in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, circa 800 AD, as Edriard and variously as Eduardus and Eduard in the Doomsday Book of 1086. It's interesting, isn't it? Edwards, variants Edwards with E-S at the end. This surname is derived from the name of an ancestor, as in the son of Edward. It's quite common. In the Registrar General's list, it occupies the 20th place for frequency, there being for every four Smiths or Joneses about one Edwards, or 25%. Many families of Edwards and Edwards are of Welsh patrician origin. For example, Edwards of Nanhoran descends from one of the royal tribes of Wales through Sir Griffith Lloyd. Edwards of Ness Strange descends from Aineon Eiffel, Lord of Sinleith. I'm not sure I've pronounced that properly. It's Welsh. County Montgomery, 1182. Edwards of Old Court, County Wicklow, claims from Roderick the Great, King of all Wales in 843, through his younger son, Tudwell Gloff, or the Lame, whose descendants settled in Ireland in the 17th century. So I think you are in good company. Does any of this resonate at all? I'm definitely from Welsh background, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, definitely. <laughs> Fantastic. Hit the nail on the head. I'm absolutely delighted. Fantastic. Jill, again, you've been in and around the professional HR and people leadership environment for about 20 odd years now. You spent 11 years with Boots in various different guises, production, engineering and head office leadership roles. And then 10 or so years in technology, media and creative environments, including tech hardware and creative software. You are currently the Chief People Officer of The Foundry, a highly successful company which has pioneered the development and use of software for creative industries across digital design, media and entertainment. 
and here's my sense of you. And I, and I should I should at this point add that you are an ultra marathon runner and have competed in several distances in the last few years. I have a quick quiz for you comprising of two questions. Do you know what the longest race in the world is? The human race. <laughs> that's fantastic. That That's the better answer. That's the best answer you could have ever given. But as it happens, it's the Sri Chimnoy self-transcendence 3,100-mile race, which was conceived in 1996. The race takes place in Queens in New York from June to August every year. Runners must complete 5,649 laps of a 1.04-kilometre city block loop, all the while the streets are in normal use, which I find absolutely incredible. But it's a brilliant fact, that's for sure, I'm right? writing a plan to do it now. <laughs> Fantastic. Next question. Actually, I'm going to ask to both of you, both of you, but first to Jill and then to Vicky, because it's quite interesting. OK, is the gender gap pace worsened by the increasing distance or improved? Significantly improved in ultramarathons. A lot more women win ultramarathon races than um, they do shorter races. Vicky, do you have a do you have a do you have a view? Um, I, I was to hoped that that was the answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's fantastic. Uh, so for 100 mile races, the difference becomes almost insignificant with a mere 0.25% difference between the genders. According to various studies, it's the 195 mile marker. That's when the tipping point happens and where we see women inch over the men's top speeds and become faster by 0.6%, which I found absolutely fascinating. So there you go. So that's the sense of you. OK, but let's get into the meat of things now. Uh, we may well be interrupted by computer noises, dogs or deliveries, but let's see how we get on. So it's been really an extraordinary two years, a global situation that we've never seen before. The pandemic has ravaged our society and we all feel hugely sorry for those that have and are suffering health wise. Business and industry has been turned upside down, but we can see some strong recovery in various sectors, particularly in the sectors that you two work in. Uh, leisure travel bounces back, but business travel lags. Often crises spark waves of innovation and launch a generation of entrepreneurs. Digitally enabled productivity gains have accelerated what everybody's calling the fourth industrial revolution. And as for how my kids view the world, astonishingly, all that really counts is that unbelievably Arsenal are fifth in the table. And did Britain ever expect to have such a young US Open tennis champion in the form of Raducanu? So will indeed 2022 be the true year of transition with individuals, businesses and society now being able to look forward to shaping the future again. But I think we all recognise that it's imperative for companies, institutions and governing bodies to reconfigure their operations. And that's why you guys are with me today. Vicky, let's start with you. Um, obviously, the world, as we've just stated, has turned on its head. And I'm sure working conditions for you yourself have changed by quite some distance. Just tell us a little bit about, you know, how things have changed for you personally over the last couple of years. Yeah, sure. So I guess the, the first thing is that I joined Alpha two weeks before the lockdown last year. So <laughs> um, I had a couple of weeks in the office and then and then we all went to remote working. So that was that was um, interesting and challenging in terms of, you know, getting up to speed on a new organisation and um Kind of learning about the people and the culture from a distance so you know that that was quite um quite difficult i think on the plus side of that what i did learn very quickly was um you know how things worked how decisions were made 
um, you know, that, that kind of thing, which sometimes can take a little bit of time to, to kind of get your head around, that became very obvious very quickly because we had a lot of that to do. But I guess from going, you know, into the office every day, and I suppose a lot of my career being office-based, to go remote and try to understand an organisation, get to know people, you know, that's that's been quite interesting. And what I've found is probably like a lot of people spent an awful lot of time on Zoom or an equivalent. And I think a lot of the meetings that I've been having are very operational and task focused. We're, we're having to work quite hard to, to have that kind of um, just that general chit chat. How are things? How are you doing? How are you feeling? A lot of that seems to have kind of just gone by the wayside and people get on Zoom and start going through their agenda of things they want to do. And that's very different to how, you know, the normal working way would have been. So it's been interesting and challenging, but yeah, in a good way, I suppose. It's definitely learning and still learning. You know, it's all it's all new to all of us. So it's definitely interesting. I mean, so so what you're saying is that before you joined Alpha, you did actually meet your current employers, but then you suddenly went into lockdown and then have you met them since? I mean, has it has it has it been an ongoing <laughs> has it been an ongoing thing or you know? Uh, yeah, we we've um we have opened up our office. Um we haven't all gone back in yet. It's still on a, you know, if you feel comfortable, the office is there for you. And I've been going in once, maybe twice a week but what I'm trying to do with those days is very different to the days that I'm working from home those days are very much about not having loads of meetings in the diary but actually using it to walk around the office have chats with people I've not met face to face you know having having a coffee generally just getting to know people which feels really strange when I've been there now for 18 months to be introducing (laughs) myself to people but yeah, it's, um, I think a lot of people are in the same boat and, you know, we've been very lucky that we have still continued to recruit through um, through the pandemic. So there are lots of people in the same situation with me as we've, we've kind of met, met people's heads and shoulders, but <laughs> haven't met them in person. Yes, indeed. Yes. Great stuff. And, um, and, and Jill, I mean, same question to you. I mean, you know, um, with all your years of experience and suddenly we kind of get into a, the position that we're in, you know, what have you personally experienced over over the last sort of couple of years about your own working behaviour and have you kind of had to do any sort of personal learning at all or you know just just interested in your thoughts here it's slightly different for me because I have worked from home part-time the whole time I've worked for Foundry so that's nearly six years right so I already had a way of working with my team particularly in terms of how I worked remotely with them and with the exec um so, you know, and I didn't have Vicky's challenge of, of only having two weeks of experience working with them. Obviously, I had the benefit of, of nearly um, four years. So I, I think it's slightly different for me. I think what's helpful for me and has been helpful over the last couple of years is being fully remote. So I haven't actually been back to the office. In fact, Thursday is my first day back into the office because I don't Fantastic. live anywhere near the office either. Right is seeing how very different it has been with everybody remote to when I was a remote worker and everybody else was in an office. And I think that experience has helped me be a little bit more 
bullish in our thinking about hybrid working because everybody working from home is not the same as some people working from home and some people being in an office. So I suppose it's given me that experience, which is really useful as we go into this next phase. Well, that's interesting. And it segues nicely into the first major question, which is managing hybrid teams. You know, some are in the office and some are remote. And how do we actually do this? I mean, you know, if you were beginning to tell the world, you know, how to do this, what would your advice be? Let's start with you, Jill, because you kind of connected nicely to this. Well, I think the simple answer, Adam, if I'm entirely blunt, is we don't know yet. <laughs> and and I think the reason I say that is each model, I think, for every organisation is going to look quite different. And it should look quite different because it should be based on what that business is trying to achieve, how people work most effectively, and you know the capability and culture of that, that business to change. So from our perspective, from, from a foundry perspective, we have found the pivot to working from home. Um, I mean, it was very challenging in the first instance because of what was happening around us, but actually we found it relatively easy to work from home. We're a software business. We can all work uh, kind of technically, we can all work remotely. Uh, and therefore, that part wasn't a challenge. What I think is a challenge for our leaders and our managers is that I think in an ideal world, many of them would prefer to be face to face. Because managing face to face, and Vicky, you joked about, you know, people have got legs when you go back into an office. Managing a a whole person who you can see in front of you and you can see their their full reaction and whether their toe is tapping viciously because they're getting quite frustrated with you or you know <laughs> all those cues those visual cues you get in an office you don't get remotely makes uh, leadership quite a different prospect so I think that hybrid model we have to work with individual leaders and managers to look at the profile of their team some of them might be long-serving teams. Some of them might have new people like Vicky, who you know I don't have a history with, so I don't know how Vicky reacts to change or different situations. And we've really got to work out the model for each team and therefore the leadership capability that's required for that individual and the managers in that team. And I think certainly the way we're thinking about it is whilst there'll be some general skills for leading in a hybrid model, I think actually we'll need to look at those individuals and some of the challenges that they'll face and how we'll help them do that with some you know, coaching and specific leadership skills. I think that's really interesting. I, I think it sounds like you're talking about a really highly customised approach uh, per team, per leader, per person, per team member, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, Vicky, would you, you know, what would your thoughts be in relation to that? similar sort of thing yeah i com completely agree i think the the role of the manager and or the leader is is going to be critical in in making hybrid working successful because they are going to have a variety of you know different ways of working within their team i think there is still you know anxiety at, at you know various stages as well in terms of people in the team and their um you know how comfortable they feel about being back in the office or you know getting together as a team so there's going to need to be quite a, a personalized approach and, and that manager is going to need to 
uh, you know, be able to have those conversations to recognize and, um, you know, reflect the working styles while still ensuring that the, the team achieves their objectives um, and, and works together as a team. So I think that that role is going to be going to be critical going forward, even more critical than it than it's been in the past. I mean, I think, Vicky, I'm sorry to jump in, Not Adam, at all. but I, I think one, one of the things that will be important is a series of principles, so, and, and maybe you'd call those boundaries or you'd call them rules or whatever, but, you know, th things that any organisation will say, this is what our hybrid working model looks like, and within that, do, do what you need to. But here are the givens, you know, the givens are that if somebody's working remotely, that doesn't have an impact on their future career opportunities. If somebody's working remotely, it doesn't impact on their ability to access learning and development or to access some of our well-being support. And for managers to know those principles means that we can then work out what they're comfortable with and not comfortable with and try and help them against those principles. I think if you don't have those principles within that flexible model, that then you're you're into slight anarchy territory. But a, a set of principles is important. You think it's interesting what you said: principles and a, a, a way of working, and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. But to both of you, maybe starting with Vicky, do you think it's about for leaders in particular? Do you think it's about getting used to? the fact that there is such a there's going to be such a variation in terms of how to lead i mean we don't really know exactly how effective hybrid working principles will be you know i mean you know it's the start of it there's many years ahead of us for it and i'm sure there's going to be multiple variations of of hybrid working but do you think that you know we're going to have to be putting extra effort into ensuring that people are very comfortable with multiple different types of working and acceptance with that is that you know, even more work for the likes of you guys in terms of developing your leadership capability, your leaders, the capability of your leaders. I mean, Vicky, what would you comment? Yeah, no, no, I, I would I would agree with that. And I think, you know, alongside that, and I think we referenced it earlier, you know, a, a lot of leaders are, you know, they've they've kind of grown their leadership skills in an environment that is office based or or face to face or reliance on on that. So, you know, for them, it, that's different as well. It's like everything that, that's been made them successful in the past that, you know, they're going to have to challenge themselves um, to, to be able to, to lead differently for different people. So, yes, I can see it um, more effort needing. But again, it, it's not necessarily going to be a, a one size fits all. Here's how to lead in a hybrid world, because those leaders are going to have, you know, a variety of, of different personalities and, and teams and um, I suppose the the most closely um, you know that the, the sort of closest thing I can think of is a sort of global matrix environment that you know large organizations have been um, doing in, in the past and therefore kind of looking to some of the the principles and the the leadership capabilities in those sorts of environments because you you know that that sort of translates a little bit to the, the world we're in now. But um, there is, yeah, definitely need to to focus on on that kind of leadership. We've, we've obviously got a bit of a journey to go on with this, I think, you know, over over several years, probably. But Jill, you, you just mentioned previously well-being. I mean, you know, that's 
it's <laughs> we already had issues around well-being in the workplace before pandemic so how on earth do we manage it uh, do we manage remote well-being now i mean how would how would you tackle things well we so as soon as we went remote last year we put in place a, a range of conversation opportunities about well-being in its basic form so we offered every single individual a well-being meeting every month. And those meetings really were intended to provide a connection, provide an opportunity for conversation with someone entirely outside of their line relationship. And those well-being conversations, we originally set up using some tools that mined uh, the UK charity um, to support mental health have created and we we kind of used a version of their well-being plan to help people think through their general state of well-being some of the tools and techniques that they were finding useful some of the things that they were struggling with and we used those as our initial conversation opener and starter and some people used those with their line managers where they felt confident and some people didn't and used it in these well-being meetings but we proactively put those in the diary rather than waiting for people to ask if they could have one. We gave them to everyone and we just put them in the diary once a month. And the take up of those was surprisingly large. Uh, I would say it was about 80% take up, which continued for about six to six to nine months. Most of last year, they started to drop off a little bit. But we've still got, I would say, about 40% of our people who have those well-being meetings um, and who are still valuing that opportunity to talk about something that isn't just uh, the operational side that Vicky was talking about, that I'm on Zoom, but I'm actually talking about me. I might be talking about my family. Yes. I might be talking about you know how I'm feeling, but I might not be talking about that. I might just be having an opportunity to talk to somebody because actually my work doesn't allow me to talk to very many people during the day if I don't have this meeting. Yes. So we put a range of those in and we put some support in for managers as well as to how to ask the how are you question in a way that was genuine rather than a I know I've got to ask this before I get into the operational stuff. So we, we did some work with, with managers in advance of that. But I think one of the things that we've recognised is that we will have to review that well-being support in the light of a hybrid model to make sure we've got the right support in for um, folks who are in an office and those who aren't. And so one of the things, for example, that we're doing at the moment is creating uh, a pool of mental health champions who we're giving some training to who can be an ear and a signpost to our well-being support across the globe and be a, another port of call for someone if they really feel the need to talk to somebody and so we're just creating that at the moment. I think that sounds fantastically progressive. And I know that, you know, Vicky with her leadership skills and Alpha being a very progressive organisation and, and you, Jill, with your experience and, and helping to drive new wave leadership at, at the foundry. I, I know both your organisations, you know, contain bright, smart, progressive uh, people. But I guess in terms of the market at large, I mean, there must be a risk here. There must be a risk here of many companies paying lip service to this. I mean, it... 
my, my estimation is, have we really understood, you know, you work in technology companies and creative companies, very progressive, fast, fast moving, forward thinking, but the world at large, I mean, have we really understood that, you know, we're in a completely new generation of thinking now? What are the risks? You know, I, I do hope, you know, my hope is that people don't pay lip service to this and, and really, really pay attention. I don't know, Vicky, whether you have, have any kind of thoughts on that at all. Um, I don't, um, I'm not sure whether lip, lip service, um, I, whether companies or people are paying lip service to it. Um, I guess for some organisations or, you know, it might be more a case of um, not, not quite knowing what they should be doing or, or not having the resources to, to be able to do that in the, in the way that, that people need. But I think generally kind of well-being and, and mental health, particularly even outside of, of organisations, uh, you know, I, I think that's going to be something that we all need to um, bear in mind and have a focus on going forward anyway, because I think the impact of the last 18 months is, you know, it, it's going to be a, around with people for, for some time. You know, I, I've got friends and, you know, and, you know, friends of theirs who, you know, have really 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 struggled in the last 18 months and you know are, are really quite nervous about getting back out into into society and doing the things that that they did before so you know if you just think about your own circle of friends and how how you you know you've got people there that are, are concerned about it and then extrapolate that out it, it is it is it is a, a challenge and something that I, you know I, I agree with Jill I, I think it's something that we're going to need to continue to focus on and provide support I don't think we can take the the foot off the brake and go right okay things are opening up now okay we can put well-being to one side and, and start looking at something else I think you know there's something that we're going to need to continue to support um, and provide the right environment for people to to speak up because I think with that remote or the the hybrid um, employees have the opportunity to to show you the face that they think you want to see or to talk about the things that they think you want to hear from them you don't know what that person what state that person's been in before you've had the meeting or afterwards you know there's that ability to um to really just put on a, a front we need to be providing the right environment and the right opportunities for people to feel that they can share how they're feeling and that they're struggling without you know repercussion or, or impact i really like the idea Jill, the you know that kind of well-being conversation with someone outside of your line manager as well, and and people taking that up is is really good because I think it's one thing to offer it, but if people don't feel comfortable about that or or don't feel it's a safe environment, then we need to find another solution for that. Well, do you think, I mean it's great, you know, both of you as individuals and and your organisations are, are taking it seriously, and you know I'm, I'm I'm delighted that because I think probably you're trailblazing in in the sense that I hope that non-fast or less fast-moving organisations and industries do follow your follow your suit. But it's brilliant that you guys are, are tackling this, and just in terms of behaviour and expectations, which is something that Jill mentioned earlier of your employees. You know, we've you know in the past when I've talked to you both actually separately, you know we've sort of bandied about this phrase of presenteeism bias. Interested in perhaps you, Jill, you defining that and helping the listeners to us understand what is that problem and how do we perhaps tackle that? So I think it's been a problem for a long time if organisations have already had groups or teams that have worked remotely. And there's, you know, there's a belief or has been a belief 
amongst some leaders and managers that unless you are prepared to come into an office and, and make an effort, you are less committed to your business, you're less committed to your career, and you're less committed to growth. And that, that, I think, is the basic premise of it. I think that attitude, I suspect, still exists and will continue to exist for some people. I think if you're going to operate a genuine hybrid model, that attitude cannot persist. And therefore, you have to think about ways in which access to learning and development, access to careers is truly opened up. And that's both in a, a process and opportunity perspective, but also in that mindset of the leaders who are making the decisions and surfacing those unconscious biases against people who are not sitting in front of them. And I can't see what Billy Bob's doing versus Flossie. And, you know, I think that's just about having a very open and honest conversation and truly thinking about why am I making that decision? Why am I saying that? What's really driving me versus uh, what do I think is, is driving those decisions? And I think it has to be a very conscious conversation. And I, I know certainly in the past and, and certainly from the feedback we've had from our people who always worked remotely at Foundry, they would say that the last 18 months has been the time that they felt most connected to the business, felt that they've had most opportunity to contribute and felt that they've had most opportunity to access development and information about careers. And that's because we created a level playing field. So what you need to maintain is a level playing field when people's ways of working are completely different. That, that, I think, is the goal. It's really interesting. I, I think it's probably another subject that people probably haven't tackled as they, as they should have done. I, I don't know, Vicky, whether you've got anything to add, add to that in, in terms of how you're, you're operating with this, uh, you know, tackling the bias potentially. No, I mean, I, I, I agree with Jill. I think it, it's something that we need to be more aware of and, and managers need to really challenge themselves on, you know, why they're thinking in that way or making that decision or you know are they ensuring that um everybody has the you know an, an equal opportunity and equal access to to development it's actually something we were looking at before the pandemic we we have some quite structured career paths um within alpha and you know we were looking at how we could build on that to provide more detail and transparency around you know progression through those career paths so that um, you know, everybody had an opportunity to identify what they needed to do to progress. And it wasn't down to whether a manager or a sponsor was, you know, you know, identifying opportunities for people and giving giving those introverts um, a, a louder voice as well to ensure that everyone had the same opportunity. So that's something that um, that we've been continuing to work on and, and becomes, I think, a, a, even more needed in, in this new kind of hybrid way of working. You, you just mentioned, Vicky, the sort of the old and the new, as it were, and the old, the old working way of working and the new sort of hybrid working. I, I think, um, you know, it's, it's great. We're, we're talking about sort of practical ideas, things to actually consider, a, li- a laundry list of, of, of items that, le- you know, people, leadership, folk need to think about to make sure that they're mitigating risk of fallout down the track. 
let's just talk about uh, um, how do you measure things? Do, do you need to measure things in the same way? Can one measure things in the same way um, when it comes to things like performance, productivity and development? I guess it's inextricably linked to the comment about, you know, expectations in this new world to some degree. But but how do you KPI people in this new world? I, I don't know that it needs to be any different. Okay. And other than what we've talked about for the last 18 months as our as our core issue is trust because the one thing you have to have in spades both as a leader and as an employee in a remote working environment is trust mm-hmm. trust that you know if i need support from my manager if i'm struggling that I'm going to get that and I'll get that from the organization. And that's both from a work perspective and a personal perspective and trust from a leader's perspective that just because I'm working from home doesn't mean that I'm, you know, got my feet up in front of Netflix for five hours and the other three, I might do something. And we talked a lot about that when we first did the work from home and particularly where we had some individuals who were really struggling either from a mental health perspective or, you know, we're in a a small space with, you know, two small children, two of them working from home, trying to do homeschooling. We had to trust that that individual would, A, talk to us about what they could and couldn't do and that they would be honest with us and that the manager would trust the individual to do what they could. And that was a really hard conversation because that was essentially saying, you know, not everyone is created equal here and we're all going to have to work together. In this new way of working, I think that trust still underpins. You know, if if we start talking about measuring productivity or, you know, clocking in and clocking off and, you know, all, all those elements that have never existed in an office, why do we need to do that when someone's working from home? If they are output measured, which is what we always are in terms of, you know, have you delivered what we agreed you were going to deliver, um, then I don't think there's any need to measure when and how they're doing that because, you know, we, we are all able to make those decisions as adults who have very open conversations. And, I, you know, I... I would shy away from putting a whole load of measurement around it because that trust just gets eroded. And, and really trust is at the centre of, of that relationship. I think that's a really interesting comment. As I said, I mean, I think, I think but um, the output, that's a, a, a word that's probably used a lot over the last couple of years. And, you know, how do you get to, to the right output? Uh, Vicky, I mean, you know, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're not necessarily looking at any, um, you know, different ways of measuring. I think the one thing we we are looking at is more regular kind of feedback and, and review and surveying around how things are working. So not, not necessarily KPIs and metrics, but really, you know, how is this new hybrid working for us as a team? what's what's working what's not what do we need to change let's work together to make that happen so a lot more of that type of encouraging those types of conversations because if you're able to have those open conversations about you know things that aren't necessarily working for you or things that you're struggling with in that kind of team environment then yeah underpinned by trust absolutely Jill if we can get to the that you know I feel 
I feel comfortable saying that this isn't working for me or I'm struggling with that. How can I make it better? How can we make it better together as a team? Then you're, you're going, you, you don't need to put the other measurements in place. They follow um, because everybody's working together to the same objective. Um, and Jill mentioned earlier about sort of, you know, team charters and, and that's something that we've been doing. So again, we've, we've put together some working principles um, and then the, the teams are working on their own charters, but starting with what's, what's our objective, what's our purpose as a team, what are we here to do? And then how are we going to work together to make sure that we can achieve that? So really placing the onus on the teams to find the, the best way that works for them all, but with the emphasis that it's about the team needs rather than just the individual wants so that, you know, it, it makes sure that everybody gets what they need from the wider team so that, yeah, to, to be, you know, highly highly effective and successful. I think this that's a very interesting point. And I think you've both said that employers, you know, hope and, and, and should trust that teams and people are going to open up about what is and what isn't working. So I suppose you have to create the environment that allows mm-hmm. that to happen in the first instance. And I guess, you know, that's that's also about sort of you know, leadership development and perhaps it needs to be emphasised in this post-COVID environment. And I say this only to gain your reaction, but I think just as society as a whole and people, are whole, uh, people as a whole, you know, friends, family, working colleagues, we've probably learned to be mm-hmm. a little bit more lenient, you know, in terms of, you know, how we treat people, you know, you know, everyone's gone through something. So you, you need to respect that. And and therefore, we need, you know, you need to allow people to breathe and, and, and make mistakes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, is there a risk that we might go too far the other way? I mean, you know, just just in, in some senses, not be hard enough on the teams and the people that we, we manage and lead. I'm just throwing that out for the discussion. To an extent, I think that's always been there because, you know, ta- tackling challenging issues in the workplace has never been easy for a lot of people. So I I don't know that this makes it any harder. I think it still exists as a challenge. And enabling people to have open, challenging conversations that make them feel uncomfortable is a theme certainly I've worked on for about the last 20 years. In fact, fact it's it's, uh, nearly 18 years since I started kind of practising some uh, some tools and techniques to help people have difficult conversations in the workplace. So I don't know that that is a new thing, but the 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 way in which I'm having to have that conversation is different because it might be a remote individual. So I might be trying to access reactions or to gauge the support that I need to give remotely rather than seeing somebody face to face. So there's an added layer. I don't think the conversation actually has got any more difficult than it than it already was, and I think that's just a core leadership skill. Whether you 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 know breathing on someone or accessing them through a screen. Vicky, do you do you agree with that? Do you think it's a similar? You know, it's no more difficult or less difficult than before. It's just we have to adjust a little bit. Yeah, I I, I completely agree, and I, and I think yeah, the ha- having that conversation remotely via Zoom or whatever. Um, I mean, personally, uh, I find that harder now I'm because I'm much more used to being face to face and being able to kind of yeah, gauge the, the whole reaction of, of the person. I think having it on Zoom 
does make it a different conversation, but the, the content's still the same. It, it, it's, um, yeah, and I think you'll all, you, we will always have the, the, the challenges that we've seen, they're not gonna go away. But yes, how we, how we have those conversations might, might need to, to adjust a bit because it will be perhaps a, a different setup. And I, and I guess with anything like an online thing, you've always got the ability to <laughs> to, to shut down very quickly, haven't you? And um, and it's like, okay, let, let, let's revisit this. So yeah, I, internet I think... internet issues come into play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're about to have those now, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I am interested in at the moment is the level of empathy now required in a line management relationship so I think we've always recognized that the manager individual relationship the effectiveness of that is what truly drives whether someone's engaged in the business or not the level of empathy for the whole person versus the person at work I think is the thing that's maybe shifted a bit and that that blurring of the lines between uh, Jill at work versus Jill at home, I think has become greater. And my expectation of somebody understanding my challenges at home being an impact on work is really important to me. And therefore that ability for leaders and managers to, to build and demonstrate empathy uh, and to be able to have more challenging whole person conversations, I think has become slightly heightened. And, and that I think is very difficult for a lot of people. That, you know, that's, that's challenging when you're sitting in a room with someone who is sharing information with you that, that may be quite emotional. To do that remotely is incredibly hard. It is incredibly hard to do. And I think that's one of the things that we're, you know, that we have to provide support on because that line manager individual relationship is so important. We know it's important. We know that's what makes people's decisions about stay or go. And therefore, we really have to think about how we help people. And it's that whole area of emotional intelligence and personal awareness, awareness of others and developing some skills. I think that's a really interesting point. I wonder whether knowing more about an individual's environment and knowing more about individuals' behaviours in the environment that they're working in and how that impacts their work, is there a risk that that might dilute the approach to management to some degree, which may have an impact on outcomes or, or not? Again, throwing that out there for consideration, Vicky, I mean, what would you say? I think it it comes back to um to, to that the manager's capability uh, but also their ability to challenge themselves on how they are um, interacting with that person and are they taking into account other factors that you know aren't necessarily relevant so am i making my decision and having this conversation with a person based on the the facts or my judgment of other things that that you know, perhaps I'm, I've now got visibility of that I didn't have before. So that kind of unconscious bias piece, um, I, I think is people are going to need to be more conscious of it um, and recognise that everybody has it. And, and, you know, that that's OK. But 
but also then being able to recognize when it's um you know when when something is influencing the way that you are talking to someone um you know working with them because yes we wouldn't have had visibility of some of that other stuff before and, and it might have been something that people didn't want to share so needing to make sure that that isn't influencing you know their ability to you know access the right support development progression but again that that comes back down to manager capability and um and back to that as Jill said, you know, that that as being the most important relationship because they're they're the ones that have, you know, the the regular contact, they're seeing the output of the individual and therefore have the biggest opportunity to identify identify when someone's struggling. Um Yes. provide the right level of support. Okay, so that's great. So, I mean, we've we've um, you've both mentioned the words uh, emotional intelligence, and just want to talk about culture a little bit. Should our values change or not? How do they manifest in our working behaviour and the environments that we work in? Uh, I just wondered, just in terms of culture in this new age post COVID, how do we maintain our company culture, or how do we evolve it? Should, for example, emotional intelligence play a much much bigger part in terms of the culture uh, overall of, of a company i guess what i'm really saying is that um you know do we need to up by a number of percentage points the emotional intelligence of the company overall not just as individuals so, so just in terms of sort of hybrid working how do we maintain and involve our cultures going forward vicky i just wonder whether you would like to comment on that first yeah so from a, i mean culture is important it's um it, it's hugely important in alpha and uh you know that that is driven by our values which are front and center i don't see those values changing i think but i do think we perhaps need to think about how we bring those to life in a hybrid in a hybrid world so doing a bit more work around what they look like in in different situations but i certainly I don't see us changing changing our values as a result of it. I think they should stay true. But I'm also accepting that kind of, I suppose, microcultures will start to exist because we will have teams and team charters and different ways of working. So that will inevitably create sort of microcultures um, across the organisation. And that's, I guess, where the values, um, the company values, you know, having prominence are going to be really important because those are the things that ensure that that everybody understands what what they can do and and what we stand for and what's important to us. And then, yes, within that, microcultures can exist within teams, but it doesn't impact the overall um, company culture. I think what you're saying is that it's not that there wasn't microcultures before. But what you're saying is there will be different types of microcultures going forward. And perhaps we have to, it, it's knitted together by the overall values of the company, but we actually have to do some learning within from those microcultures, you know, the new microcultures, what's working and what's not working in this new post-COVID environment. I think I think that's what you're, you're saying, because cl- clearly there were microcultures beforehand. Yes, uh, yeah, I, I think, um, I'm talking particularly about alpha, we the, the culture was very much kind of centered around the fact that everyone was together and you know there was a very social aspect to it and um you know lots of people have been there for a very long time and so that kind of culture was probably yes there were microcultures but they weren't too dissimilar across the organization um i think yeah it, it will be new microcultures or perhaps um a little bit more 
um, obvious or, or different now with with different teams having different ways of working and, and interacting differently. But yeah, they did exist before. They might just be a little bit more magnified now than than perhaps. And, and that's interesting. And, and and Jill, you know, you and I have talked about you know values as they relate to culture in the past. You have some interesting perspective on values, I think, probably slightly different to, to, to Vicky's in some ways. I have a bit of a chicken and egg scenario with values and culture, um, because I think, you know, culture for me is always evolving. And I always find the uh, how do we maintain our culture an interesting concept, because your culture evolves as your people change as your goals change as a business, that there are always some underpinning values of of how we operate and how we work with each other. But if I look at, you know, our business over the last five years, that's evolved. I think we're on our third iteration of those values now. As we have changed in the market, as we've changed as a business, as the people who lead the business have changed, because culture is created by behaviour and culture is created by how we operate with each other. So I find the the question of how should we maintain our culture? How do we ensure our culture is maintained? Or how do we create a culture that supports hybrid working? It is an interesting one because I don't think we're 100% in control of it. So what we can control is the principles or the values that are at the heart of of what we do. And so for Foundry, that's about saying, okay, people first, and that's, you know, our own employees and our customers. And that's that's the basis of, of what really makes Foundry Foundry. And that's what our customers say about us. That's what our people say about us. How we do that, and I love actually Vicky's description of micro cultures, how we do that will look different in different places. What it shouldn't mean is if it looks different, if the culture feels a bit different, it shouldn't mean that opportunities are different or, or that um, there's, there's a kind of uh, two levels in the organisation or three levels. We should all have access to the same opportunities and, and the same information Um, But it might be how I work with my team is quite different than how one of our engineering managers works with their team. And that's okay as long as our principles of people first are the same. So I'm always a bit wary of saying, right, let's define what our culture is going to be because because you can't. Your behaviour defines what the culture is, not not a piece of paper that you've written down. So it's all about behavior as opposed to the values themselves so it's can we adopt behavior or let me ask you the question you know can we adopt behavior that allows us to live up to those values but knowing you know knowing quite well that those values may evolve over a period of time so it's it's, it's, the principles you talk about are about behavior if you're honest about it so when we set out our values for the first time it would have been nearly six years ago The one thing we said, so we asked two questions. We asked what it's like now and what you would like it to be. And we defined our values as what we would like it to be. But we had to be really honest when we defined those values to say, 
Foundry might not feel like this right now. But this is what we've all said we'd love to work in, is this set of values. So what we then started to do was, was to craft our processes, our ways of working, and our feedback to individuals about how they operated based on those values. But at the time, I guarantee you, for 50% of people, those values felt very incongruent with, with what it actually felt like to be in Foundry. And that's why right. I say you can't just define your culture and it happens. Yeah. You have to, you, you know, you, you, culture morphs over time. And even now, I know there'll be people who look at our values and go, well, that's not how it feels for me. Yeah. Because it's truly about those interactions that you have with humans that define the culture. And I and that's that's the that's the mindset that you have to get into as a leader is I am defining the culture for my team. You know, it's that it is that microculture. I love that. And therefore, is it is it congruent with what we've said we want as a business, or isn't it? And, and more importantly, do I care? Because I want people to care about that. Well, that's a really interesting point. I mean, the caring bit, a really interesting point. And we, we, sh- we should talk about that a little bit. And maybe it relates to this this, this next question, um, to, perhaps to you, Vicky. You know, we have, been, I say slightly sarcastically, we've been through a minor inflection point in life over the last couple of years, I think. I think it's fair to say that. And I think that um, we've now talked a little bit about the fact that it's it's behaviour being congregant to the culture that you want to grow and knowing that the culture does change. But I'm asking you perhaps both to be soothsayers a little bit now. You know, we are part, we're not we're not past it and we're going to be living with it for, forever. But, uh, you know, we're through perhaps the worst, I would I would hope to say. What new culture will evolve, uh, will will evolve from this hybrid environment or maybe not even use the word hybrid this new environment can you if you think about the market and in general or even your own organizations are there any sort of you know are there one or two pointers to what new types of culture will kind of arise maybe vicky tackle that one first of all um i i guess what, what i would like to see is um people being able to um to 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 balance things a little bit better in in work I think a lot of people have enjoyed being at home and working from home you know me personally it's much easier to roll out of bed and walk across the the landing than it is to get on a train and go into London Um, and I hope that the the benefits that people have found from being able to do some some working from home um, and and do some of the you know that kind of work-life balance type stuff better that they find a way of being able to do that going forward and that we can create the right type of environment for people where they can they can thrive and be as successful with hybrid working as as they were in you know being in the office all all the time um because i think it would be great for people to be able to hang on to some of the positives that they've taken from these last 18 months you know it, you know that there, there haven't been a huge number of them it has been challenging but I think some of that it would be great for us to be able to provide that type of environment the type of support that people feel that they can they can thrive in their career and also to have you know a bit more of that work-life balance so that that's something that I would really I'd really love 
love to see going forward and and yes that that will be a you know a, a different culture but i i would hope that what we get from that is people who are much more engaged and motivated and satisfied with their job and with us as an employer because we are providing an environment where they don't have to choose between work and life they they don't have to feel that they're giving up on one for the other that they're making any kind of sacrifices to make it work so that that I think would be a real positive that I'd like to see it, it feels like a real great takeaway from a tough time and you've got to learn from challenging times right I mean so I think that's a it sounds like a great takeaway Jill I mean again you know you know what will come up what will come of all this do you think <laughs> I think Vicky's spot on I think it's more of a a very a very blurred line between uh, me at home and me at work. Yes. And I think there's I think there's a number of things that are likely to to drive that. So I think the wider um, social consciousness has created very different conversations at work, which you know part of which is diversity inclusion agenda. And I think that has been a much more productive conversation actually over the last 18 months than we've had before. And I think that's partly because people are becoming more comfortable talking about them outside work and it not being two separate people. Yes. And you're not having to be two separate people for, in some instances, which I'm sure has been hellish for for loads of people across the world so you know I, I hope that that transparency and openness that that we developed um comes into an awful lot more cultures and that basis of trust remains you know when when there is an inflection point you know when everybody had to pivot to working from home plus schooling at home or looking after aged parents or whatever their challenge was dealing with their mental health challenges on their own rather than with a group of people all of that meant we had to have much more honest and open conversations to be able to get through and I think if we can retain that we will all be very much more productive (laughs) because you know when when things niggle at you you're not productive. If I can have that conversation and move on and somebody, I know somebody knows I'm having a bit of difficulty and I might need to nip out every half hour and not feel bad about that. And that actually enables me to work more productively. Great, big tick in the box. Whereas before I probably would have, you know, stuck that in a bag under the seat on the tube when I traveled to work and picked it up on the way home. Yeah, no, it is very interesting, isn't it? I mean, the analogy goes that even physically, you know, looking at you guys now as we record, you know, I'm I'm seeing a little bit into your own personal world with what's around you. You know, you know, there's a it's a window into someone's world, and if there is a way of us allowing people to open up, hopefully you can take some benefit from it. Well, this has been a, a great conversation. We're sort of coming to the close of it, but um, final subject to tackle is human resources uh, leadership as a whole in this new environment. And I'm, I'm, I guess what I'm really interested in is, you know, po- in post-pandemic business, is there a new role for human resources leadership? Or is it, as we've been kind of intimating, that human resources leadership 
remains, but it needs to just evolve. So it's kind of similar, but just needs to evolve. I'm just interested in your thoughts on that. Maybe, maybe Vicky, start start with you. I think it's an, an evolution. Um, I, I don't see it changing dramatically, you know, very, you know, as, as a result of, of the last 18 months. I think the things that were important pre-COVID are, are equally important now. I guess, you know, one of the challenges for perhaps smaller HR teams um, or, you know, HR managers who, you know, perhaps work on their own in, in organisations, part of their challenge may well be not having everybody in the office and therefore, you know, if there has been a reliance on, you know, walking around, seeing everybody, taking a cue, taking, you know, feedback, if, if that has been the, the kind of primary way that, that people have, you know, kept in, in touch and kept their finger on the pulse of the organisation, then, you know, there's a, there's a change there for them going forward. But um, otherwise, I think it is just going to be an evolution of, of what we've all had on our agendas and we've we've talked a lot about you know kind of leadership and management capability values um you know talent management talent development all of those things are not not going to to go away um but the solutions might need to evolve or or be be different to accommodate um you know a hybrid workforce but i i don't i don't see it dramatically changing evolving I think is, is probably how I see it Jill would you would you agree with that I mean it's, it's similar sentiments a hundred percent agree from an H, HR lens outwards I think what has changed or needs to change in a number of organizations is the way that leaders chief execs CFOs view the people function and I think that has probably, for some organisations who maybe don't operate the way in which Vicky and I have described, has been a bit of an eye-opener. Because actually going forward, some of the of what we've described and which Vicky's just given a very good summary of in terms of those kind of people-type processes, people-ways of working, will have to become more central to some organisations than they've been in the past. Because, you know, this, this hybrid working model creates much more of a market level playing field and gives people far more choice in terms of where and how they work. And whilst, you know, that may be a downside for our types of organisations where flexibility was always one of our unique selling points, um, and that's very much the feedback we've had for many years, I think other organisations need to view probably their people function in a, in a much more integrated way. It's integral to whether you can succeed in your strategy delivery or not. Uh, so I think the outside in lens for a number of organisations has probably gone through a bit of a revolution. And if it hasn't, I'd be intrigued to see how they're going to uh, compete in the people market going forward. That's that's really interesting, really interesting. And, and that actually brings us nicely to to our, uh, what I call our summary exercise. So, you know, it's, it's been it's a really, really fun and interesting conversation. We've touched on the new hybrid environment. We've touched on the, the old versus the new, and we've touched on cultures versus values and behavior. And we've now just mentioned, you know, the, the, the role of people leadership in, in this new world and 
and to the extent it has changed or hasn't as, as time goes on. But um, so summary exercise, just, just to finish off, I, I have a few statements here and I'd like you both to score uh, one through 10. One being I disagree vehemently and uh, 10 being I agree entirely. And uh, if you want, you can make a couple of quick comments on why you've scored like that. So, okay. So first of all, Vicky, um, we need to take a highly customized approach to this new world? I would say seven. <laughs> Hesitation there. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think, I think there, you know, we, we're definitely from a, a team perspective and day-to-day -day working um, needs to be more customized for individuals and teams. But I think from a company-wide initiatives and you know particularly when it comes to things like talent development um, and progression I, I think that needs to you know we, we need to ensure that what we've got in place is appropriate and fit for purpose for for everyone that doesn't necessarily mean a one-size-fits-all per se but we need to ensure that there is you know transparency fairness equal opportunities for people to develop and grow their careers in the way that they want to. If we go down a route of, of that being highly customised, then I, I can see, you know, some some challenges further down the line. So, yeah, uh, uh, not not quite a completely agree, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. on, a, on a team level, yes, definitely important. You, you get a second question and then Jill gets her, her too. So your second question or your second statement to agree or disagree with is, employers need to increase their levels of trust uh, i would agree um so uh, let's go 10 oh wow you've gone for a big <laughs> however 10. Uh, i'm sure there are people and companies out there already that have very high levels of of trust but i think that is really i think it is really important you know for all the reasons that jill talked about earlier if we if we don't trust our employees and um, our managers to you know do the right thing and to support each other and you know trust that people are, are are doing what they need to do then you know we're very quickly going to get you know quite quite fractured so yeah I trust is really really important but I appreciate there will be organizations out there that are going yeah we're we're, we're all over that already we're, so we're there already yeah. <laughs> yeah yes indeed okay Jill uh two questions for you then or two statements for you to disagree or agree with Empathy, higher levels required. This is the key. Uh, I am going to go a full on 10 because I'm very, um, <laughs> out, very the gate, vehement. out the gate fast. Yes. I'm out the gate fast. Um, you know, I, I, I just believe that the value of understanding the whole person shouldn't be lost because I think that's been a, a huge benefit to how we've managed to be successful through a very challenging time. And if I think of other challenging times that hit businesses, you know, having been through a couple of turnarounds with businesses you know, near bankruptcy, if we had had that level of empathy for the individual and the openness and the understanding as people were going through challenging change, I think that would have been even more effective. So I, I, that's, that's huge for me. Fantastic. And uh, a contentious statement for you, but maybe not so contentious. I'm not quite sure. Behaviours are more important than values. 
oh, I can't put that on a scale because it, it literally is iterative. One drives the other in a never-ending circle of change. Yes. So, so I can't put that on a continuum. I can only put that in a circle. I'm not sure how we can score that then, which dramatically, dramatically reduces the average. That's for sure. Anyway, great stuff, guys. Um, first, first and foremost, um, Vicky, Jill, thank you very, very much for your time and your comments and, and your thoughts. I mean, I think that um, hopefully uh, the listeners will find a lot of that really, really interesting and, and take some uh, take some some comments into their new worlds. Uh, I hope you don't mind, but um, if any listener out there wants to ask you a question, I'll ask them to email into FDU and then I can forward uh, forward any questions onto onto you guys. And by the way, for listeners, you can email email me directly on a block. That's a b l o c h at fdu group dot com. And feel free to email any questions, um, and I can pass on to Vicky and Jill. And to you both, um, I, I wish you great success with your ongoing journeys. For me, it sounds like you've got it nailed. But um, um, I look forward to catching up with you soon. And thank you very much for your time. Brilliant. Thanks for having Thanks, us. Adam.